Hey. Yep. All right. How's it going, Spencer? <laughs> how's it going, Chris? All right. Good. Hopefully, hopefully he joins in a second, but I'll get it started. All, All right. right. So what's going on, guys? We got Michigan State beat writer slash reporter joining today, Chris Solari. Um, how's everything going, man? Good. You know, it's uh, it, every time you think this this beat will die down and be a little uh, mundane and boring, there's always something crazy, even during a bye week. But uh, oh my yeah. God. You know how it is. It's, it, it's, yeah. it's crazy, especially when the seasons start to overlap. But, you know, the craziness has been kind of out there even for the last four years. Exactly. Um, and don't we have another bye, like, after this game? The next yeah. Game? yeah. That's yeah. weird. Um, yeah, right. it's, and then that's something D'Antonio talked about in July, being a tough part of their schedule because, you know, you're getting your season basically interrupted to have a week off, a game, and then another week off. I mean, it's not an optimal – way to, to structure those two buys but it, it's something that they've known they've had to deal with and i mean come, it gives two losses that's i mean that's going to make it even more challenging oh yeah i think it'll give us time to get healthy though and get all the players back yeah i mean you know some i mean you know i don't know if a guy like Jalen naylor will be back um kevin jarvis that they're they've kind of hoped that he would mm-hmm. be back around this point but you know i don't know how how close he will be to to getting on the field just yet um, and not to mention the fact that you got to get these guys some practice time too, which which is why this week is kind of important. And they're not they were off until Thursday. Um, mm-hmm. They were reconvening for first practice, but they they were doing light lifting and, and some team uh, you know film work and, and some other things. But um, you know, getting some of those guys back, especially on the offensive line, is critical. Oh yeah, you don't think Naylor will be back after the bye week at Penn State after Penn State? I mean, all accounts is that he's going to be done for the year. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, now you, you've basically got, what, one game with him? Um, you know, it's, it's you know, you, you start to think yeah, that's about the redshirt because he didn't take that redshirt yeah. last year. So, you know, that's that's a, a real um, a real issue. I mean, you, you, you have the ability to redshirt a guy and still play him in four games. Um, exactly. You want to try and do that as, as often as possible. Yeah, I, I talked to him yesterday. Like, I didn't ask him about any of that, but he said he was doing well, but I don't think he's going to be back either. That's what I was telling him. Yeah, last I saw him, he was still on crutches, still in the walking boot and everything else. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, oh, damn. Especially with a, with a foot injury like that when you're a speed guy. when you're Yeah, exactly. You, you need it to cut. Um, you mm-hmm. know, that's that's a that's a tough one. I mean, same with the offensive line with guys like R. Curry. I mean, you know, you get that ankle injury. You saw he tweaked it in that Western Michigan game. And it hasn't been back since. No, you know it's it's it, it's a dangerous thing in football because you need the leverage, and if you don't have leverage, you're getting knocked on your butt. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so let's let's get into this. So like, so everyone's been asking me this. So what do you think's going wrong with MSU football program right now, and what do you think about all those transfers? Well, I think the transfer thing is just natural selection in some mm-hmm. ways. I mean, it's. That's it's nothing that hasn't happened in the history of college football, especially since the '85 uh, scholarship limit was enacted. But we're seeing it play out in real time rather than in January or after the spring, like it used to. Um, even even in fall camp, you used to see guys. Um, I, I think back a few years ago, uh, there was a defensive tackle that, that you know they were thin on defensive tackles who left the program. Enoch Smith, um, you know, left oh, yeah. at the end of fall camp. Um, you know, it, because guys don't want to they, – they, they're, they're cognizant of their own eligibility. They, they know the clock. They, they've got five years to play four, mm-hmm. um, sometimes six, depending if there's significant injuries like, like Hartmark, yeah. Gad, and, and Sowards. 
Um, but usually it's five to play four. And, you know, if you're looking to play um, and you're not getting playing time, you're going to do whatever is best for you. The Ladarius Jefferson one, to me, was, was a curious one because he, he had a chance to take a redshirt year this yeah. season and didn't. Um, you know, I don't know what that bodes for his future. Perhaps, I, you know, just pure speculation. I wonder if he's not going to go maybe down a level, be eligible immediately, and maybe maybe try and replace J. Rue Campbell up at Ferris State and be a quarterback again. Wow. Um, it, oh, it, wow. It, it would be a very possible thing. Um, you know, I mean, he had a Central Florida offer to play quarterback. So, You're but, right, he did. But, you know, you go – you, you try and transfer now to a major, another major FBS school. You got to sit out a year because exactly. you played in six games. Um, you know, but guys like Hayward and Chambers, uh, Weston Bridges, mm-hmm. and Brian Brandon Boyer, Randall, all those guys still want to play football. They, they mm-hmm. still got football left, and and they want to go somewhere where they're going to get more snaps than they've been getting. And kind of the writing was on the wall for for all of those four guys. Um, in you know, maybe not so much for Jefferson. But for those other four guys, that, that they weren't getting the playing time. Exactly. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like like you were, you mean you talked about that before with Jefferson. You were like, oh, he might stay because he has the kid or whatever. Yeah. And then yeah, that too. I mean, I didn't think he was going to transfer, but he didn't get a lot of playing time. I don't know why. I mean, obviously Collins is a merge, but I mean, well, and and, there's, and that's the other thing too about the portal is you enter the portal, it doesn't mean you have to transfer. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there there have been guys that remain at the same school so I mean that's still I mean I think it's still a possibility for Jefferson maybe he, he he sits out the rest of this year and and then decides he wants to stay at Michigan State takes his red shirt next year and changes position I mean you know D'Antonio yeah. said he could be a big impact linebacker oh uh, yeah which is, which is you know, he said that on signing day back when in 2017 or in 2018 when he, when he signed and he, he's got a guy that than just a football player. And I think the same was with Hayward as well. I mean, he's a guy that could have moved positions as well, but I think he sees himself as more of a running back now at this point in his career. Uh, I think a lot of it comes with the pedigree as well. I mean, you know, when you've got a father who, who's such a, a well-known guy in, in Greg Ironhead Hayward, there's some there's some legacy, I think, that, that goes into what, what uh, Connor's decision is there and, and to stay at that position and, and kind of follow in his dad's footsteps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and not to mention the fact his brothers at the NFL level, and you know, I think one of those guys that's in his ear is saying you need to go somewhere and play. You know, you yeah. Know, you know, you know, you're behind a redshirt freshman right now, and then a, a, a true freshman and Anthony Williams kind of leapfrogged all those guys. So mm-hmm. uh, it's not an optimal situation at running back for Michigan State, um, especially when you saw in the Wisconsin game they they trot out oh. Matt Seibert as a blocking back. I mean, that's you know, that's they've done that historically, but. There's no threat to run in that situation. You become one-dimensional. Teams know you're going to pass at that point, and you've got a big guy in there for pass protection. So oh, they're going exactly. to tee up. I mean, there's no, there's no hiding what you're doing at that point. That yeah. was the most. That I have never seen a worse offensive game than that. That was awful. I mean, so predictable again. No rhythm. No yeah. rhythm. No rhythm. Um, you know, and that's that's one of those. When you go back and look at, at how things transpired in that first second quarter. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some of it was the fact that the offense was going three and out. Some of it was the fact that the defense couldn't get off the field, mm-hmm. which wasn't. You know, which was it, Bocce, I thought, had a, a really kind of comparison. It was like, you know, we're not getting off the field to give them a chance to build rhythm. They're not getting any rhythm, so they're not sustained drives. We're back out mm-hmm. in the field getting tired. I mean, it, you know, every, 
it, it really is one of those things where you look at it and it wasn't one side of the ball that was more at fault than the other. They both were. Um, you know, those long times yeah. in particular, they couldn't stop them. Kind of the thing you saw in the Arizona State game. I mean, oh, Arizona my State God. Game, they couldn't stop them in third and fourth down situations at the end of the game, um, which had been their bread and butter in the past. Uh, how much of that comes from fatigue? How much of that comes from It's hard to really say, but but they also I think the other thing, and I said this going into the season too, is that look at look at the, how much how many snaps the starters have played, and look at the backups this year versus last year. I mean, the backups last year you had guys like Grayson Miller, and and you had Matt Morrissey, and, and you had guys who and Gerald Owens. And, Guys who had a lot of football experience. I mean, even even Antoine Simmons was a backup last year to Andrew Dow, so that, that was able to give the starters a break. I mean, exactly. right now they just aren't trusting those younger defensive players in, in significant down and distances to, to come out yeah. of the defense. Mm-hmm. And so now yeah. you, you wear down your starters even more. Yeah, because I know I know him. Uh, you do, Brian. That he he's like. I mean, all of us are wondering why Barnett's not out there more. I'm sure, I'm sure you are, too. Yeah, I, I have a question. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of people do. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's a, how do you use him? I mean, that's the, that's the thing. I was gonna... Logically, logically you'd, say, you'd say that he would be the guy, from a speed standpoint, who would replace Naylor. But mm-hmm. I, I think they've settled in with Daryl Stewart in that slot role. And CJ or Nelson. Yeah, I mean Nelson as well. I mean Nelson got some snaps. And then they Johnson. and then they give the ball to Cody White on end rounds when he's not even that fast, and they refuse to throw it deep to him. I don't yeah. get it. Well, I mean, I I, I really think don't. Think about this: there, there was a play last year uh, against Northwestern where they gave Felton Davis an end round. Yeah. Well, he took it to the house. I mean, mm-hmm. but he he wasn't he's one of fast. those guys. Cody White is not that fast. Exactly. I don't, yeah. I don't think Felton Davis is one of those guys that you say is a, is a burner. I mean, he gets downhill. Um, and I think yeah, White's like I guess. that as well, but. To get downhill like that, you have to have optimal blocking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. if you're not quick to the edge, then that, remember the Davis touchdown. He cut back towards the middle of the field, um, whereas Nelson, or not Nelson, but uh, uh, Naylor last year when he ran that touchdown at Indiana was to the edge. When he bounced it back against Purdue, it was to the edge. Um, that you need that that blazing speed to the edge if you're going to run that play. Otherwise, otherwise, if you're going to throw it up the middle, you're going to have to have Supreme blocking, and that hasn't happened. I mean, you know, you look at where they're. I mean, they haven't had a rushing touchdown since the first quarter against Indiana. Yeah, I saw your tweet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's you know, 173 minutes of football without a rushing touchdown. They, they've got six rushing touchdowns this year. Two of those, by the way, are gone, and there is Jefferson. Um, and the six rushing touchdowns they have are tied for the ninth worst in college football. All the other teams tied with them and, and worse than them. Have only played six games, and Michigan State played seven. I mean, that's yeah. not an improvement in the run game. Some of that's because they've decided to spread it out. Some of it's because they've had to play from behind and throw the ball more. Uh, but the the fact that, that the run game isn't getting much traction. And I thought they did in the first half against Ohio State, but but it, it was it was an absolute non-factor uh, against Wisconsin last week. And yeah, that's got to change. Yeah. I mean, that, that, everything's predicated up front. Everything's predicated on yeah. on both the offensive and defensive line. And right now. That's the spot, you know. I'd say the front seven, the front seven. Oh, yeah, but I think there's been some issues. Yeah, for sure. And to follow up on that, like, what are what are a lot of people around the program or not program, like close to the program, saying about you know the hot seat with D'Antonio and all the coaching staff? I mean, 
But I mean, I mean, I know there's got to be rumors going around there. Oh, there's lots of rumors. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I don't necessarily think that it'll be a situation where Antonio is fired. Because yeah. You got a first-year president, which I don't necessarily think a president wants to come in and disrupt something like that right away. Um, he's got obviously a lot bigger issues to deal with across the board in Congress, from the fallout of the Nassar situation to the opening of the cancer hospital, the other ongoing issues uh, of, of federal investigations of sexual uh, assault and, and uh, misogyny within the entire university, not just the athletic department, but that. But you also have a first-time athletic director who has no athletics experience whatsoever. Um, do I think that one of those two guys, Bill Beacon or Stanley Stanley, would fire D'Antonio? No. Um, in part because of, of their newness of those positions. I think that's that's something to keep in mind. I, I think D'Antonio has, what's the word I'm looking for here? He, he's, he's built capital um, mm-hmm. over the years, but I think it's the way that things transpired in shuffling the coaching staff rather than oh. making any changes last year has, has kind of put that almost to its end. So I do think he's going to be in a position uh, come the end of this season. Um, and I think part of it you see with the, the contracts because offensive coaches were put on one-year deals. Oh, I didn't know that. Defensive coaches were made on two-year deals. Okay. Um, so essentially a lot of those guys are coaching for their jobs right now. I mean, That's really good to hear. So, <laughs> so you see that. Um, what happens next? And D'Antonio has been a loyal guy. He's been extremely loyal to his, to his coaches. And they've been loyal to him over the years. Um, not Blackwell. Well, he talked about, like, not necessarily Blackwell, but the, but the other assistants that he's had. Um, those guys all had chances to go other places at times, and they stayed with him. Um, and he gave them a chance this year. Now, you're not seeing it. You're not seeing the results that, that he talked about. So what do you do next? I mean, yeah. he, he mentioned when he did make that move, if I make those changes and sweep out our staff, that's going to take a, a full – two months to replace all those positions and then they then the guys you bring in aren't even going to know the personnel that's that's a tough spot to be in mm-hmm. you know so so what do you do i mean so that's i think one option you know he, he has to either make that move and change his staff and the other option that people talk a lot about is retirement yeah um, you know i mean he's 13 years in he's 63 years old he's had a heart attack um he's in good health um i think he's and spirits, even, even without the uh, the dumbass questions that, that people have been asking. But um, I, I do think that, you know, he's on the back end of his coaching career. He, yeah. Where I think Izzo is a little bit more of a guy who is more towards the, the Joe Paterno vein of, I can't get away from basketball. It means too much to me, and it's such an integral part of my life. Antonio has always struck me as the kind of guy who, who has other things in life that, that he'll want to do. I know his exactly. Daughter, his daughter just yeah, got married. I see that too. Start a family. So, um, you know, and that's, and that's a tough read right now. I, I think that's a tough read uh, for us covering him, but I also think it's a tough read for the people over in, in the administration to know what, what his next step is. Yeah, exactly. Because if he stepped down, I couldn't tell you who we'd go after. I mean, yeah. PJ Fleck. Yeah, everyone wants Narduzzi, but I'm not crazy about Narduzzi. See, look at DJ look Flag, at 100% numbers, though. Um, Narduzzi's numbers at Pitt, and that's in the Power 5 conference, which D'Antonio was in. D'Antonio was 17 and 16 when he took over at Cincinnati mm-hmm. uh, in his three years there. And, and Narduzzi's numbers are pretty comparable. He's had bigger wins. He's won a division, uh, a 
division championship in the ACC, which mm-hmm. Antonio never won a conference championship at, at Cincinnati. Um, now, Brian Kelly came in with his players the next year and had a great year after Antonio was gone. But, um, you know, the, the fact is that, that Marduzzi has a better resume right now than Antonio did when they hired him. And he also has familiarity with the, not just the personnel here, but also the university, the culture, everything else. Um, he, to me, makes the most logical sense, but I don't know if you can pry him away from him. That's, that's, a, that's a tough one. Um, they've been investing in that program. Um, you know, it's a tough place to win. It's really, in a lot of ways, the, the fourth in the pecking order in that city uh, as a program, whereas Michigan State's kind of the hallmark here. Um, yeah. So, I, I, you know, there are other names, I think. I've heard people mention Luke Fickle. Um, Colorado's coach, I think, is a, is a name to watch. He's, he's a guy that has had experience here at Michigan State as a graduate assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the university probably is a little wary of going completely outside of the university family because the last time they did was John L. Smith. Yeah. See, but- Do you not agree with looking after P.J. Black and trying to get him? I don't know. Um, I, I think that, they, that P.J. Black has kind of rubbed a lot of people at times the wrong way. Um, he, he's certainly a different kind of guy. Um, a different direction. He could recruit, I can tell you that. He can recruit. There's no question about that. I mean, you see, I mean, you think of some of the guys that, that had Western Michigan offers to Michigan State. I mean, Bill Bocci, I think, was, was a guy that was that was in P.J. Fleck's site that, that Antonio took. Um, so he, he certainly has got some talent over the years mm-hmm. uh, at Western. He knows the area. Uh, but to win here at, this, at Michigan State in particular, you have to be able to, to to bang with Ohio State down in Ohio. Um, that's the key. Um, the talent level in Michigan isn't, isn't that great. You yeah. have to be competitive with the talent in Michigan, but you have to be able to pluck, pluck at least one or two top-level guys, a lot of second-tier talent from Ohio. That's how the Antonio has done it. That's how the Antonio has built it. That's what Nick Saban did. Um, you know, you, you spread your wings a little bit and go to a Houston or an Atlanta like, like they have done recently. And, you know, even back in Perth, they were, they were big in Florida. Uh, at that point, yeah. that's kind of dried up a little bit, really, since Garrett King. Um, although they had Paulino Bell, but um, that didn't turn out so well. Too. <laughs> you know, you think of think of some of the happenstance though that's happened in recruiting for them. I mean, you know, you can't recruit three, four guys, you know, three guys um, who you never would have expected to be involved in a sexual assault situation. Oh yeah. They kicked off the team. The fourth one, another question altogether. Um, but look at Paulino Bell. You couldn't have projected this guy who's now at Vanderbilt would have gotten in a, a jet ski accident and changed the player he was. Weston Bridges, you couldn't have projected. You know, yes, you kept his commitment after he had one knee injury at the end of his high school career. Uh-huh. But then he had a second. You couldn't have projected that one, too. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's not to mention all the injuries to offensive linemen over the years. David Barron and, you know, Keontae Stallworth not developing. All these, you know, Paul Chewin's injuries. You know, there's a lot of things that have transpired against them that some of it is just on identifying the talent. Some of it is out of their control. Yeah. I was yeah. doing some research on the recruiting class for the 2016 class, which was 20-some years. Eight and guys we had, tw- we had 12 top 300 commits, mm-hmm. and only one of those players is on the team. That's that would be either retro juniors or seniors right now. And that was yeah, our best who, class in 20 been, years. It is insane. Who have been the two most productive players in that class? Justin I Lane was, but Justin, Justin, Justin Lane, Don, I think Donnie Corley, Justin Lane, Tristan Jackson, Yeah, Shuk and Bocci yeah, sure. yeah. are still there. And, and those, those weren't even top fifteen recruits in that class. That's how he built the program. 
Yeah. They built the program with those kind of guys, not the four-star and five-star guys. They've had four-star and five-star guys like Will Molston and Malik McDowell and, uh, you know, I think uh, some of the guys like Lawrence Thomas. L.J. Scott. Years, L.J. Scott. Um, but they've, they've interspersed those guys. And you look at the, the last three class. I mean, they're more, they're more in that three-star vein. A couple guys here and there above it. I think Darius Snow next year comes in. He's a legacy guy. Yeah. Um, but the rest of the guys are all three-star guys, you know. You know, they're, they're, I think they're back to recruiting guys that, that are hungry to be football players. But, you know, at some point, you have to have the talent and the horses to, to mm-hmm. get to that next level. That's um, what I'm saying. And, that, and that's kind of the question of, of what's next, you know. Are you content being – I've called it the Mark Rick factor. I mean, yeah. Mark Rick Georgia won how many, how many times? Nine wins. <laughs> you could pencil in nine wins. Maybe ten, maybe eight. But in that range, is that enough for Michigan State fans? I mean, yeah. it's kind of a new order because it had been 50 years since they, they had to deal with that. Yeah. Know, since yeah. They had to deal with that success and then the drop-off. Um, I, I don't know. I, you know, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the administration now progresses as well. Yeah, but you see, for me, like, when you're talking about four stars, I think the biggest problem is if we're going to recruit the high guys, we got to hire, like, younger coaches, like like Darian Harris, someone that played for us, because they can relate to these higher prospects. When they come in here, like, thinking they're the best and they're going to start right away, and I'm not calling on our coaching staff, but, like, you know what I mean? They're older, so well, you know what I'm saying about that. the offensive staff, the one that's, that's had the most issue in terms of identifying that. Exactly. Now. The defense, I mean, and the part of that comes from D'Antonio's eye. I think yeah. he still has that eye for talent on the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, a guy like Shakur Brown has been hurt, but what we've seen of him as a player, he fits. He, he fits that, that mindset. Guys like Antoine Simmons, I mean, you know, it's a kid that flipped from an Ohio State commitment. Um, You're right. He's, forgot about he's that. playing like a four-star guy. Mm-hmm. He's playing like a, you know, it, it's not – it's not, are you a four-star guy in high school? It's, are you a four- or five-star guy in college? Yeah. That, that really mattered. Jack Conklin, no, no stars, played like a five-star. Now you see him as an all-pro all in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's, that comes from talent identification, but you also have to get talent. You have to get that high-end talent and manage them, which I don't necessarily know if, the, if this staff has been able to manage that, that high-end talent. I mean, McDowell was kind of a train wreck his last year, um, and – Really, I, I think if you if this is, and this is a good example of internal policing that I think comes with with some of those guys that are three star guys that that have worked and clawed their way. You, you think about how that 2015 season went and how integral and how important Malik McDowell was to that defense and how big of a force he was. Mm-hmm. How did he how did he do it? Well, he had Joel Heath. He had Shalit Calhoun. He had Marcus Rush. He had all those guys playing right next to him exactly. over the, the early part of his career to rein him in. When they were gone, then now you you know that that's up to the coaching staff to to keep him in check, and it didn't really happen. Yeah, um, I mean we'll we'll get into like because I know everyone wants to know about how I'll ask you that in a minute, but like for the that's what I want to ask about. You're saying how they had leadership. Do you think the team's lacking leadership right now? Like, what do you notice from like? I mean, you know, you interviewed these guys. Are they like bad attitudes in the press conference? No. What do you think's wrong? I mean, no, I don't think it, that's it at all. I think okay. there's just, I think there's general frustration mm-hmm. that comes from where they were at as sophomores, I mean, especially this senior group that, you know, and the junior group that played that year. Um, you know, these are guys that had a 10 win season. Yeah, those games were close. And yeah, they were able to get through it and win some of those games. Um, but, 
they're not seeing sustained success. I, no. I think there's frustration more than it is bad leadership at this point. Um, yeah. I think there's yeah. also, you know, it, it's kind of like with coaching too. You've had the same integral voices now in the same ears for three years. You know, college football is a regenerative situation. You know, you've got <laughs> constant turnover of rosters, constant turnover of coaches. You haven't had that here, you know. So you see it at the pro level too that sometimes voices get stale, and that's why – I think at the pro level, the coaching changes are, are a little more frequent because because the pro athletes, you know, those high-end guys need to hear different things from, in different ways. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they've necessarily had that. I think they're hearing the same voices from the same coaches at the same spot and, you know, not seeing the same results that they once had. It's it, it's it's a it's a recipe for frustration. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you, man. I feel, like, I feel like if we never had that 2016 year – all our recruiting classes right now would be top 25 because they were looking good before that 2016 year. Maybe. I mean, uh, you know, that was, you know, that, that, that 17 class was, was okay. Um, you know, remember they yeah. had most of those, that 17 class in place before anything other than the three and nine season fell apart. Yeah. And I think that even that 17 class, most of those guys were committed before that season, what the 16 yeah. season even started. Yeah. Um, you know, but you know, it, you've, you know, you've you've kind of seen. Um, I don't want to. Regression probably isn't the right word because they've talked about it, recentering, refocusing. Um, it's been a, there has been, I think, a change in philosophy. They're still going after those high end guys, but how hard are they going after? You know, yeah. are, 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 or, are they, or more importantly, are they doing better due diligence and backing off some of them? You mm-hmm. know, and, and staying away from real character problems. I don't think this team has a character problem at all. Like, even Connor Hayward, um, you know, I don't think he's a guy that had a character problem. I think he had a playing time problem. Yeah, that's all it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously everyone wants to know, and I'm going to ask you because I know you were interviewing him all yesterday. But so what is Izzo saying about the Joey Hauser situation? And what is your gut telling you? Like, do you think he gets that immediate eligibility? My gut tells me no. Uh, mm-hmm. My gut tells me that they are – that uh, they're believing that he's not going to play. Um, I think that where Tom was a month ago, to me, is probably a little more of the realistic things. Now, that doesn't mean, I know they've talked about appeals, fly, uh, multiple appeals in the past and other situations and trying to find different ways to get him eligible. But, and, and that I think has maybe sparked some of the renewed optimism, whatever it is. I mean, Joey didn't want to talk about what they're, they're, they're approaching the NCAA about uh, at this point, but do what uh, Justin Fields did. Well, yeah, it'd be interesting. That'd be an interesting one for him in particular. Um, but you know, it's I. It's hard to gauge what the NCAA is going to do anymore with with these eligibility issues. Yeah, and, and I think some of this they've opened Pandora's box with transfers and 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 making some of these guys eligible that, that are questionable and. You know, other things that, you know, I mean, Justin Fields is a guy that's from Georgia, left Georgia, goes farther away from home and is immediately eligible. It doesn't make sense, right? Um, like, sick mothers and grandmas don't get eligible. Yeah, that's I mean, it's, you know, I think there's going to be, they're going to have to have some sort of symposium to sit down and figure out with coaches, with athletes, what is the best possible way to go forward. I mean, there's so many other issues going on with, with paying athletes and, and, you know, the California bill, name and likeness. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, there needs to be almost like a, a continental congress to to kind of come 
together with these schools because at some point, what I think could end up happening, and it's been like this for 10 years, I mean, the NCAA is held up by its member institutions. It, it, what is the NCAA? Well, it is the member institutions. That's all that it is. And if those top-end schools, if the, you know, the top 80 schools or so, the Power Five and, and a few of the others decide to branch away and, and create their own new governing body, they could do that. And the rest of the NCAA goes by the wayside. They can create their own new rule set. Because mm-hmm. that's who makes the rules right now. It's the member institution. It's the 300, 400, or whatever it is, Division One schools and all the, the minor schools and Division Two and FCS. And, you know, everybody's got their hand in it. And, you know, the thing I think that holds that up from, from being a house of cards that crumbles is the NCAA basketball tournament. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's too much money involved in that. And it, yeah. at, some point, at some point, college football is going to come to its senses and see how much money the four-team playoff generates, and that's going to expand because it's the only it's the only football division in all of the NCAA that does not have a true playoff. I mean, if you can't, you can't tell me that the Power Five schools are supposed to recruit better athletes, more uh, intellectual students because some of these are some of the higher institu- educational institutions in the country. If the FCS schools can figure out how 24 to 32 teams can be in a playoff, you mean you and still not affect adversely the student athletes. Well, why can't the major college level do it? Exactly, because, because they're trying to find the money to rep to replace ridiculous. the ridiculous. I mean, that's it's it's a monetary issue. It's not mm-hmm. it's not a player health issue like everybody tries to say at all. It's, it's trying to find the the money. Exactly, they're going to find it eventually yeah. in that in that playoff as it gradually expands, whether it goes from four to six or four to eight, or or if they just go all out and go to 16, which I think is probably the right number. Mm-hmm. Um, you know? yeah. But, you know, that's all stuff that's down the line. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, going back to the original question of, of Hauser's eligibility, though, um, you know, I would imagine within the next week or two we'll find out. It's, it'll be before the season. I was just going to ask uh, you that, I, too. But, but I don't necessarily think they're planning for um, it. it. It would be it would be kind of a bonus gift at this point. If they oh, he'll be starting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Completely. Yeah, on absolutely. That, on that note, that answered that answer the question at the four. Exactly. Fear um, big on if Hauser doesn't get the if Hauser doesn't get the eligibility. I, I don't think he does, but I mean, if he does, he starts. There's no question. And then if, if he, he doesn't, Fear big on who do you think? I, I think it'd be Kithier right now. Wow. Um, wow. Unless unless they decide to go small, and it, it, you just read between the lines when Uzo talked about how well he meshes right now with. Tillman, and that's going to be a big thing. Um, you know, they're kind of interchangeable at the, at, at defensively as well. But if, if if you can play, if you're the guy that can play next to Tillman, and the other thing that he needs is a guy to do stuff in the post. Um, you know, where I think Bingham kind of hangs out in the perimeter. Hall's probably in that range right now. And Even know, Brown. What's that? Even Gabe Brown. He's oh a- yeah, Gabe Brown is is uh, you know hasn't met a three pointer. He hasn't paid. Yeah, you know, I mean, he, that's that's his game. You know, you could go with Gabe Brown situationally, I think, mm-hmm. um, and I think it would be an interesting matchup nightmare for some teams. But you know, defensively, how does that work? Exactly. You know, that's that's where anything Izzo makes a decision on is nine times out of ten going to revolve back to how does it affect the defense. And I think Kithier right now, because what we've seen of him in terms of energy scrappiness and, and some of those little intangibles of, of just knowing. About Tillman's game and meshing together, I, I think is the guy right now. Now I wouldn't call it leader in the clubhouse, though. I, I still think that 
there's time and a chance for, for Bingham to, to make his, his claim. Um, and they're they're going to need that size mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah. But you're at the practice every day. It's like the media. like Yeah, not every day. Maybe once a week or so. Like when you went to the media, were they practicing there or they were just answering questions? The media. Yeah, they were just answering questions. Oh, okay. Because I was going to also ask you about Rocket Watts. I mean, everyone thinks he's just going to come in and play a lot of minutes behind Cassius foot. I mean, they well, said lawyers put on some weight too, right? He has. He okay. has. But the bigger thing to me is that Watts has been struggling with his shot. Yeah. Um, and Izzo's admitted that. And I saw that this summer when I saw him at Moneyball. His shot just looked flat. It looked, you know, he didn't look like the same shooter that I saw uh, put up 64 for Spire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes, the defense is a little better and more advanced and a lot older that he was playing against out there. And, and same with against MSU, but they are they're complimentary of how he handles the ball. They're complimentary of how he runs the floor. They're complimentary about how he passes. So those are big things to get on the floor. Shooting will come. I mean, I think that you've seen that with, you know, if you're a natural shooter like a guy like Josh Langford, he struggled at times, but you saw it before his injury last year that his shots started falling. And exactly. Yeah. You know, that's going to happen when you're a pure shooter, and I think Watts will be in that camp. I, and Izzo even said that he's not he's not worried as much about the shooting as some of the defensive things and some of the the ball handling and court vision things that he's seeing and, and liking so far because he thinks that Watts could become a good defender and, and be ready for that right now, which to me is where Cassius Winston as a freshman wasn't ready. No, um, so that's, yeah, I, I still think Cassius Winston plays thirty minutes a game, but um, how do you give up those other ten? You know, is it, yeah, is it six for Watts, four for for uh, Lawyer. Is it eight for Watts, two for Lawyer? Is it eight for Lawyer, two for Watts? You know, I mean, I think that's going to be a work in progress. He's going to have to kind of figure those guys out, how they mesh with whoever they're on the court. Yeah, I just, yeah. I don't know what it tells. Something tells me that Lawyer's going to be a lot better than this year than people think, though. Like, I don't think, he, I don't think he'll get too big. He, dude, he's a stud. He's a really yeah. good player. One thing I, he's a really one thing good I player. did say that I can see in, in the limited bits of practice that I've seen is he's looking more for his mid-range shot. Which I think, to me, if you've got a point guard that can hit that, and I, my coach in high school used to tell us you can score between ten to twelve points elbow to elbow. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's because it's it's a soft spot for defenses, and it's a shooter spot. Um, if he could do that, elbow extended, you know, and and hit a three here and there, um, he doesn't have to score forty a game. He, he's not going to be counted on to score forty. A game. Yeah. On to facilitate and hit open looks, like just like he did in that Ohio State game in the Big Ten tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and the last thing I basically was going to ask you is, if like if the game is starting tomorrow, who do you think the starting five is going to be? If it's if you had to pick, well, it, a lot of it's dependent on where Langford is. Uh-huh. I think he'll be ready. Um, how many minutes he'll get, I don't know. But okay. I think he'll be in the starting lineup with Winston the back or. I think you get Henry at the three, Kithier at the four, and, and Tillman at the five. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Bingham will be first off the bench for the bigs. Um, I think Watts, Brown. Um, play it all? I think Hall will play a lot. Um, I, Marble's kind of a question mark. I think, yeah. I think he's he could be one of those guys that is a vital piece. He could come along, sure. yeah. I mean, you know, he, he's he's got, to me, the most Big Ten ready body. And, oh, and really? Like I liked what he's, he showed in terms of strength against older competition this summer and you know, what he's shown at, at times in practice. Um, but, and I think he's probably going to be the better defending option for those. But 
how you know Hall is a little more of an electric school. So it, it's going to be depending. yeah. You know, I think first of all, I think Hauser is, is a big piece. Yeah. Um, you know that that obviously changed a lot of things. Um, you know, but and it would allow them to redshirt a guy like Marvel. But if Marvel's uh, needed to play, I think he'll be able to. I, mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think they'll. It might take him a little bit of time to get acclimated to the size and speed of some of those bigs that he'll face, but. But I think he's got a sturdy body compared to the other guy. He's got the weight. He can probably put on more, but he doesn't as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Or as a sophomore, I think he does. Um, you don't think there's any way possible that Arndt is going to start, though, right? He's another guy that I think they're going to have to manage his minutes. He could start him. I, I think there's a chance that he could start him, mm-hmm. um, you know, depending on, on the length of his health. At the can. four spot or, or no, the place I, I think if, if he were to start at the three, then I think maybe he would go small and put Henry at the four, mm-hmm. um, which is a possibility. It'd be a weird lineup. It would be a yeah. very weird lineup, but, but you know, I mean, it's, it's you know, can you defend a big at 6'6", at six, six, you know, with Henry? And I, I don't know if that's necessarily what they want to do uh, at this point, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's positionless basketball. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's the, that's your four best. Um, but I do think that there's going to be a juggling act early on to, to minimize the wear and tear on minutes on Langford and Arns in particular, because that back for for Arns is a tricky thing, mm-hmm. and, and everybody's cognizant of that, and they don't want to get him hurt because they saw at times how vital he was to that team. Yeah, defensively and the ability to hit yeah. shots, his yeah. athleticism. His rebounding. I mean, he's he's got the full package. Works hard too. It's 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 that full package. Sometimes is a little damaged. Exactly. Um. Yeah. I don't know what it, the last thing I was going to say is. I've just, I've been watching Michigan State basketball for a long time. If someone just tells you that he's caught, I don't know why. I think he's going to go with Hans. But you could be right with Kithu. But I don't know. I feel like. I mean, obviously Hans can shoot it better, but. I mean, you're you're in there every day, so you probably know more than I do. You're saying, yeah, no, you're, but, he, but remember, he also likes having a veteran option as a six yeah. guy off the bench too. You know, I I, I kind of when I said some of those other guys on the perimeter, Arms, I think would be the first guy off the bench. Okay. Um, and, and on the wing, uh, you know, you could you could possibly, if you're in a pinch, put him at the two. But you know, you could play him. He's played two to four. Um, you know, and then, then there was that one year where he he ended up having to play the five because. Uh, Matt Van Dyke was the only other healthy body to, to man the five. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember, asking, I remember asking Kyle. I just, I just don't see our only big so. man being filming. No, I don't think so either. Um, but There's, the there's no that, way the that thing that's, The thing that's interesting about Tillman and that, that, that people haven't seen a lot of and yet at the college level is he was a guy that played with the ball off front. It's feet. Like, how he can orchestrate an offense from, yeah, from behind. Yeah, I see that too. Um, ball on the deck. He can shoot outside. I mean, you're going to see a lot more things from Tillman's game this year than you haven't been able to see the last couple of years because that hasn't been his role, and now it will be. Uh, and that's going to make that offense a little more dynamic, too. I mean, you know, that's, I think, where the other thing comes in. Maybe Tillman's your four and the year's your five. You know, maybe Tillman, because he has that ability to step out and shoot, um, you know, it doesn't have to be. It could be like Kenny Goins, you know, three times a game, four times a game. Um, you know, that could be that could be his role on the offensive side, and he guards the five. So I think there, that, there's a lot of versatility to talk about with, with different lineups and different looks and different guys in different positions. It's about it, – it's finding that mesh that I think, you know, the, the schedule doesn't really go too, too quickly for that. I mean, you're going to find it in a hurry against Kentucky. I think by the Duke game, he'll have, it, he'll have his, uh, his figure 
yeah. this rotation figured out a little bit more. Yeah, even Seton Hall. I mean, we got a lot of teams in the stack. We have a lot of good teams playing early on. People got to – I mean, they want all the – you know, they want us to go undefeated people, but they got to realize, you know, we might drop a few early because our schedule is not – it's very hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's been a long time for someone to Yeah, it's been a long time for someone has gone wire to wire number one. Exactly. Preseason number one winning. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you don't got anything more to ask him, right? All right, no. I think we covered everything, man. Um, I cool. appreciate you for joining us, though. I'm glad I could. Yep. I yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Great talking to you guys. I'll send Keep you... doing good work. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll send you the link and stuff, so if your followers want to hear it. Perfect. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Talk to you later, man. All right, guys. We'll see you. All right, see you. See you. Bye.